Hello, Amanda Ferrari here. Looking forward to bringing you wonderful stories from people right across the Australian boarding schools landscape. Whether that's students, parents, ex-students, leading professionals within boarding school communities, and even some conversations among the team here at Boarding Schools Expo Australia. I'll apologise in advance if you're not new here and you're tired of listening to my intro, but until we're really settled into the podcast world, I'll keep briefing the newcomers on my fascinating world. Feel free to fast forward a few clicks of the 10 second button. I was born and raised and educated in Sydney and honestly, I never imagined marrying a farmer on the western slope of New South Wales, let alone raising country kids. Part of that journey has included deciding to explore the notion of a completely diversified education for our children, one that moved them away from their hometown, opened their eyes to different cultures and experiences, and one where they were able to develop their tolerances for those that have an alternate view of life to the one that they were raised with. I believe that education is about opportunity and options. It's about choices. The more rural, regional and remote children that have the opportunity of boarding school, the opportunity to broaden their connections, opinions and tolerances, then the better our regions will be for it. I believe this opportunity should be available to all that seek it for their children and with that, Boarding Schools Expo welcomes all boarding schools to our platform from those in the cities, to our regional boarding schools, to government agricultural boarding schools, and to schools that are just beginning their boarding houses. We support them all in their marketing and bringing their story to as many families as possible. Through this podcast, Destination Boarding, we can share the stories of boarding school life, talk to experts about Australian boarding schools in the 2020s, and generally demystify what it means to be part of a boarding school community. Larby is the son of immigrants, a mother of Chinese heritage and a British father. They came to Australia and settled their young family in Sydney's eastern suburbs. Adam's childhood was a pretty good one, Coogee Beach down the road and a great education at some of Sydney's best schools, including senior years at the Scots College in Bellevue Hill. If podcasts were a visual medium, you'd see how his eyes light up when he speaks about his adventures at Glengarry. This is Scott's Bush campus where students in Year 9 spend half a year. And as he points out, it was in its early days, not the sophisticated setup it is today. Anyway, this episode is not about Scott's, but it was here that Adam discovered boarding and spent time during his senior years as a weekly boarder and then on to a gap year in Canada at one of their most renowned boarding schools. Once he returned, the obligatory degree in arts at Sydney Uni, where generations of students who aren't quite sure what they want to do have gone before him. But for Adam, whose connections to his school remain strong, he decided that a career in education was going to light his fire, so to speak. His love for education and wide open spaces have now come together and he is the newish head of the King's School Tudor House campus a preparatory day and boarding school for boys and girls from Australia and overseas. Prep boarding is not common in Australia. In fact, Tudor House is one of only a couple that offer dedicated primary-aged boarding. I really wanted to know what it's like for kids that live away from home from such a young age and why parents choose that. Adam takes us through a day in the life of a Tudorian and, of course, we chat about the history of Tudor House how the school came to be connected with the King's School and the reasons behind the school's decision to go co-ed in the past few years. Kids do thrive here. It sounds idyllic. 
everything you could possibly imagine. I wanted to know more about Tudor House and preparatory boarding and that's why I lined up this interview with Adam. Enjoy. Adam, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Oh, Amanda, it's great to be here. Can you just tell us a little bit about your background, you know, where you grew up, how you came to be in education and where you were before Tudor House? Yeah, I grew up in the eastern suburbs of Sydney. I'm the son of two migrants to Australia, actually. So I've got a mum who is from Malaysia, but is of Chinese heritage, and my dad's a Londoner. And uh, they came out to Australia, you know, 40 plus years ago with a suitcase at about 50 pounds and for a new adventure and a job with dads. Yeah, I grew up as a kid. They just happened to land in the eastern suburbs and never really left. So that was me starting out. I I was very fortunate to go to two great schools. I went to Coogee Prep in primary school and then to Scots College in high school and had a a crack at at boarding at different times, did some short-term boarding stints when mum and dad were away for work trips. Uh, Obviously had that beautiful Glengarry experience in the 90s when it was sort of really just starting out actually. Yeah. And so I got a pretty raw version of it when we went through and uh, loved that time. And then I did some boarding as well through um, through year 12. So, yeah, Scots was a great place. And I think the, the beauty of Scots at the time that I was there was it was very much just about personal best. And I really bought into the traditions and the history and that sense of being part of something that's been going a long time, yeah. um, what it meant to be a Scots boy. From there, you know, I spent time on a gap year at a big boys school called St. George's in Vancouver. Oh, yeah. Um, Scots had a connection with that school. And so there were three of us from Scots who went across to just do a gap year there. And you know, the, the Canadian system is a bit more American than than we are. We're probably a bit more British, but because it's a Commonwealth place, you know, they had rugby and they had cricket as well as, you know, ice hockey and, and all the other sort of North American sports. But that was a, that place really taught me a lot about the power of sort of community. They were so community focused. They had a lot of international borders and just seeing what a cosmopolitan environment was like. Just the opportunities available to kids in a school like that was very similar to what I saw at Scots, but to see it from a teaching perspective was pretty pretty amazing. And that sort of probably sparked an interest for me going into education. That's what inspired you? Yes, I worked in boarding when I was doing the gap year. I worked in high school PE. We coached a lot of sport. We did tours and other bits and pieces. And they had primary borders and secondary borders. And I think that experience was so positive. I thought this is really great and I enjoyed working with the kids and the teenagers and came back to Sydney and went to Sydney Uni as as most guys from my school went to. And I did an arts degree. I did philosophy, politics, psychology, Asian history, a whole bunch of things. And at the end of that kind of went, what am I going to do? The good old arts degree. Yeah, that's right. It's like, (laughs) I've got an arts degree. What am I going to do? I had been teaching sort of Sunday school at my local church at the time and, you know, had connected with a lot of young young people through that and had enjoyed it. I was also the eldest grandkid on both sides of the family. So I'd always grown up with younger people and in that sort of, you know, caring, supportive sort of relationship. And a good friend of mine said, oh, why don't you think about teaching? You know, maybe that'd be something interesting. And I didn't really think too much about it, but then, you know, eventually applied for it and I got into the course and and really from day one, just loved it. Loved the people that I was with, loved the lecturers who just really had a heart for for, for education and for teaching and for, for young people and then started visiting school, started doing pracs and thought this is really for me. Once you finished university, did you go straight into the independent school system? Yeah, so I applied to be a targeted grad through the state system. Yep. I mean, hindsight probably selected a pretty narrow area. I sort of 
wanted to stay, you know, in and around the eastern suburbs. And from what I hear later on, that's probably the hardest place to get in. Yeah. And so almost you 20 have tried years tried for Trangy. <laughs> I know, I should have. Even almost 20 years on, I still really haven't heard back from them. So I did end up, not necessarily intentionally, but did end up in the independent sector and started at a school called Claremont College in Randwick. Oh, yes. Um, so part of the Anglican Schools Corporation. It's one of the few standalone K-6 to co-ed independent schools in New South Wales. So it would sit along alongside schools like historically Tudor House and Mossman Prep and St. Peter's and a few others. And I think what happened at at Claremont was I was inspired by a really inspirational principal, Doug Thomas, who was just a creative, thoughtful guy who wanted to challenge what was possible in education. And even though we didn't have borders, even though there was no high school, it was a really just vibrant and caring place. I mean, he was very much just about the kids and building community and caring for families. And I think almost eight years there taught me a lot just about how to build a tight community of people who are really on the same page. Yeah. And as an educator thinking about, well, why do we have to just do education the same way it's always been done? They were probably the big questions from him. And I had a chance to do some you know, some travel and study tours and, you know, got some opportunities to move on to the leadership team through those eight years. And then an opportunity came up to go to Shaw at North Sydney and uh, be the deputy head of, of one of their prep campuses. And at the time that I started, they did have the sort of very end of prep boarding. They had had a history of sort of country kids coming in and living in the year seven house. And that had slowly filtered sort of down to sort of numbers that weren't really viable. At the end of the first year that I was there, we sort of finished up with primary boarding. But obviously, Shaw's got a very rich heritage with boarding and, you know, they still have a couple of hundred boarders. And so we did have that part as part of the school. We were at the main site there and so often connecting in with the boarding staff and the kids who are living there. So, yeah, board, boarding sort of been all the way through my own school journey and the different schools mostly that I've worked with. Mm. Seven years at Shaw, saw a bit of change, saw a change in head, had the big COVID pandemic through that time as well, saw the impact of being remotely and not being sort of embodied together as a community and doing things. Yeah. And that was sort of hard to see, but also I had the opportunity as a, as the deputy head to try and facilitate some virtual community and actually keep people connected even though we couldn't be together in person. Gosh, was and that even that, harder in a prep situation? Really tricky. <gasps> Can't imagine. I watched my son do the HSC online, you know, during COVID. <laughs> I just used to wander into his room sometimes, which we weren't allowed, don't tell anyone, and yeah. I'd have a look at the screen and I'd look at the teachers and I'd think, oh, you poor things. You know, at the end of high school, you know, particularly for boarders, they get their own rooms. There's the privilege and rite of passage of sort of finishing up and all of the fun and exciting things, the senior teams in sport, all of the special productions with the arts. I mean, it, it was a real tragedy for those 2020 and 2021 cohorts because you don't get to be 17 and 18 and do it again. No. And by the time you're 19 or 20, you don't really, can't really think about going back to that. But so much anticipation about being 11 <laughs> and 12. And Oh, I remember people. my son looking at me having watched me crying on and off for months, <laughs> he looked at me towards the end of it all and he said, oh, you know what, Mum, we, you know, we've all been talking. He said, I really think it's affecting you parents more than it's affecting us. He said, we actually don't really know what we're missing out on because we haven't done it. Mm. It was really interesting and I, you know, them playing rugby in isolation with no crowd, it was bamboozling but it was a really interesting observation of his yeah that's a really interesting thought from him you know they were still face to face talking online chatting with each other planning 
that's the way they connect. So it was interesting. Mm, Sorry to interrupt you. I do that. No, that's that's fine. And then I think through 2021, the opportunity came up to apply for the the role at the King's School Tudor House. And it was a school that I knew a bit about, the previous head, Andy Sandwell, and I had overlapped through the Ipshire Deputies Network. We'd done a bit of our postgrad study together. A few of my mates from Scots had gone through Tudor because Tudor was you know, a feeder to many of those schools back in that time. Mm. And so it was a school I was familiar with. And I think we were just ready as a family for a bit of a challenge and adventure, an opportunity to get out of Sydney and just see something different. And a school that I felt really aligned with my own personal values and views about education. So, you know, as it turned out, they they offered us the job and um, we've moved down. So it's been yeah, 18 months down here and probably two two years of sort of thinking about it and being part of the community. And certainly Tudor House, and I'd like you to tell us a bit about the history, but they've certainly been challenging those traditions of education and the model, you know, by going co-ed in the most recent years. Can you tell us a bit about the history of Tudor House, the King's School Tudor House? Yeah, so Tudor House started in 1897. The founders, a, a gentleman by the name of Wilfred Inman, he was an Englishman, as as many of the founders of our of the greater public schools were. Uh, he was inspired by a headmaster called Edward Thring, who was the headmaster of Uppingdon School, which started in the 1500s. And Thring's sort of whole philosophy around schooling was a philosophy for all of life, a holistic approach, which meant engaging sort of mind, body, and spirit. Inman, when he moved to Australia really wanted to sort of find a way to, to do that himself after having been mentored under um, Edward Thring. And he started a, a, pr- a primary sort of boarding school in Bellevue Hill, right behind where we think Scots College is now, yep. um, in a house called Errol. They spent about a year there before moving to Strickland House, which is that beautiful heritage home up in Vaucluse. Mm-hmm. The The school was there for three years under sort of a lease arrangement. And the, the campus and the photos from that time are just of this sprawling acreage. You can imagine Vaucluse in the late 1890s just being so far from the city, but it was like this regional retreat. And so there was connections with livestock. There was all of the, you know, the natural sort of things around the harbour. And he had this thing of sort of the moulding of character mixed in with the love of the beautiful. And he certainly chose a sort yeah. of scenic site for that. He he married the, the Premier's daughter at the time, James Martin's daughter, yeah. and so got connected into sort of high society. When the lease finished at Strickland House, they were holidaying down in the Southern Highlands and an opportunity came up for them to start the school in Mossvale. And so in January 1902, they started there and we remain at the same location now. And the campus is um, about 170 acres. It's three k's from the Mossvale township, about an hour 40 into sort of the centre of Sydney. So, you know, we, we're, we're on a beautiful site yeah. and uh, we've got about 100 acres of of farmland and paddocks and, and, and rivers and creeks. There's about 25 acres of, of woodlands forest and then about 50 acres of residence and academic precincts and the classrooms and sports fields and the boarding house and all that kind of thing. So it is a pretty idyllic location. And I think Inman, you know, as the founder would be pretty proud of the school that it's become, but the fact that it's also hung on to that original vision of sort of character and holistic sort of development of kids. Yeah. King's comes in quite early on in the history. So primary boarding schools, boys, it was quite a quite a unique operation even then. Mm. And they did struggle financially managing a massive regional property, being in being only boarding um, as it was for a lot of its time. And World War II really put a sort of 
put a huge dent in its enrollments and its capacity. And so the King School took control of it in January 1942. And the association over the past 80 years has ebbed and flowed depending on who the headmaster and council were at the time. But in 2017, they they rebranded as the King School Tudor House, Mm. formally bringing it in to be part of the King School, not just a sort of satellite sort of campus. And we're now under the same NESA registration. It's all just one big school. Yeah. It's happened to be the regional campus, 130 k's down the road. And so at the time, Kings came really back in under the new headmaster, Tony George. They also made the decision to bring in girls. 2017. So that that happened for the start of that 2017 year after discussions through the the back half of 2016. You know, you've seen a shift in, in recent times to schools saying we're going to go co-ed. Mm. Mostly boys' schools adding girls in rather than girls' schools adding boys, although you've, you've seen that a little bit. And it's not just in Australia that's happening around the world where schools that are, you know, 50, 100, 150 years old, even Winchester recently, you know, in England, after hundreds of years going, we're going co-ed. Wow. It has changed. I think the decision at the time was a financial decision to go. We need we need enrolments. They had fallen below 100. It wasn't really viable. And we're, we're now at over 250. So at wow. a- at a strategic level, it's been very, very successful in terms of bringing new enrolments into the school. I don't think a huge, a huge amount was of thought was going into what does it mean to become a co-ed school? What does it mean philosophically? What does it mean for the girls? How does it change the program? But I think we've worked out a lot of those answers over the last seven years to really build a healthy co-educational school rather than a boys' school that's got a few girls, if that makes sense. Yes, it does. And I think that speaks to what I wanted to ask you. Is there a a higher meaning or thought process towards going co-ed in the example of the King School Tudor House? Or I think you've just answered that it was more about enrolments. I think at the time it probably was without necessarily realising all the other positive benefits that might come from that as well. So I think it was a very pragmatic decision. We need to keep the school open. We want the school to stay open. We think there's a lot of benefits for it. And one of the ways we could do that is having more kids. And if we open it up to girls, that'll... And the girls' enrolments trickled in through 17, 18, yeah. and then really exploded through 19. And we we celebrated having over 100 girls currently enrolled in 2022. Wow. And so to get up to about 40% girl enrolments within sort of six years is a testament to the fact that the community has got on board with the idea of Tudor being co-ed. You know, I've got uh, four kids myself, yeah. three of them are girls and they're at Tudor and my son's also at Tudor as well. Yeah. And my girls have had a fantastic experience at Tudor, certainly haven't felt like a second-class citizen, haven't felt like it's, you know, this boys' school where we've got to do boys' things. Yeah. They've just very much felt like it's a school that's got boys and girls and we're kids just on an adventure together. Yes, and I think... You know, when I think about what could possibly happen from a boys' school becoming co-ed, which is what what we're sort of seeing, it's happening a bit, bringing that equity of, you know, between girls and boys, men and women, and what that means for the future generations, you know, whether that's in corporate life, farming life, any sort of professional life and dealings, for boys and girls to be educated together, I, I can only think that that's got to be beneficial yeah, and I think at the end of the day in primary school, they're just children, right? Mm. Kids hanging out together, learning. A lot of primary schooling is learning of foundational social skills, mm. interpersonal skills, foundational academic skills, first-time experiences in lots of ways. 
And there's very little research or evidence that would suggest that we have to segregate boys and girls because one group can't do one thing and one can't do the other. And so there's beautiful things like the girls playing cricket and, you know, rugby where they would historically not have necessarily had that chance if they were at a girls' only school or boys having a chance to play netball. Yeah, yeah. I just think that's, that's fantastic and there's no stigma of the boys playing netball or the girls playing sports that might be considered boys sports. It's just they're kids, they want to have a try at something and they compete against each other, they play with each other. I, th- I think that's been a lovely thing to see for me. I'm sure I don't need to tell you that for many families in rural and remote Australia, where they live means boarding school is the only option in order to provide a choice. Living near a town that has one high school, that's not a choice. Or living remotely where learning in isolation is the only option, that's not a choice. For others, it's simply an option that they'd like to explore. Here at Boarding Schools Expo, our belief is that education is about choice and then ultimately opportunity. The more regional, rural, remote kids that have this opportunity at boarding school, the opportunity to broaden their connections and opinions and tolerances, well, we really believe that the better our regions will be for it. We believe this opportunity should be available to all that seek it for their children. And with that, Boarding Schools Expo welcomes all boarding schools to our platform. From the city schools to the regional boarding schools, there's independent schools and government boarding schools. We really support them all in bringing their story to as many families as possible. Essentially, I guess, we provide a welcome map between parents and boarding schools. It's everything you ever wanted to know in one place whether that's under one roof at our in-person events or on one website with our online events. We've been a trusted resource for families for over 19 years now. We've had over 13,000 children attend our events, whether that's in person or online. We're really proud of that. With our in-person events throughout New South Wales, Victoria and Queensland and our online Australian Boarding School Summit, which incorporates Boarding Expo 365 with 25 partner schools exhibiting, there's an option for you wherever you live. Our summit is for families discussing the issues that matter to you, whether you're still deciding in boardings for you or whether you're already there. Our events are free. They always have been, they always will be. If you're interested, you can register via our website boardingexpo.com.au you can check out all of our upcoming events for 2024 and you can have a look at the schools and you can make a shortlist of your favourites it's really destination boarding from wherever you call home talk to me a bit about boarding in primary school that's I realise for some people it's distance or they might be learning alone at home so parents want to get them ready for that next step of secondary boarding Obviously, Tudor House has day kids and boarders, but prep boarding, more common overseas, UK particularly, we don't really see it in Australia. It's not a big thing anymore now, and I think the in the recent ABSA sort of um, census, the numbers are sort of between 100 and 150 across the whole country, so yeah. it's not a big thing. Tudor historically was boarding only. In more recent times, the boarding numbers have gone down. Obviously, it's it's opened up to day students. But yeah, so we're co-ed boarding and the co-ed boarding came in in 2019. So the girls' numbers have have been smaller in boarding, but still there. I think, look, there's lots of reasons to choose boarding. We are the primary boarding specialists. It's it's what we've done the whole time. And so I think we know it pretty well. 
there's lots of reasons for sending kids to boarding. We have a, we have a number of international students, typically from East Asia, yep. um, whose old siblings might already be here in boarding. Uh, they don't need to pass the English proficiency test if they come in in primary school. And so if the decision from, from these parents in international locations is we want a Western or an Australian education, we want them to come early so they can, you know, culturally assimilate, understand culture, develop their English proficiency, build those sort of, you know, core skills of independence and responsibility. Let's send them early, the only options to send them to tutor. So mm-hmm. we have those kids and they and they they add a fantastic sort of diversity to our population and perspective and for kids growing up in 130 k's from sydney mm-hmm. to have that diversity in our school communities is, is fantastic yeah. other other types of borders we get a lot of kids who are still coming from um, regional locations throughout australia mainly new south wales mm-hmm. and these kids come from lots of different reasons many of them are old boys yeah. um, kids of old boys or old we old girls in the future but old boys who want their kids to have that same experience that sort of beautiful just childhood and safe, caring, but also adventurous and challenging. We get kids who know they're going to be going to boarding for high school. Their older siblings have already gone. It's like, all right, well, there's no one at the house. The farm's pretty busy and we want to send you early. And so often they'll come for year six only or for year five and six. You get a few kids whose current schooling experience may be in a central school or a very, very small school, just might not suit their academic needs, their social needs. And so they know they're going for year seven if they've got a school of 20 to go to a Sydney boarding school in year seven or even a regional boarding school. It's just going to be too much of a jump. Yep. So tutor for those kids bridges the gap to come into a school of 250 will feel big, but it doesn't feel overwhelming. Yeah. Build all of those skills that they need so that when they get to year seven, they're really ready to fly. So for some of the kids in regional locations, the rigor of the academic program at the school might not be such that they're getting all of the stimulation that they need and the and then maybe a falling behind with literacy and numeracy. And so not wanting that gap to be enormous for year seven means coming into Tudor where we we offer the IB, we offer a very rigorous program, we give them a chance to sort of plug in some of those gaps over year five and six. Yeah so that they're really ready and not feeling behind the eight ball when they start in year seven. So that's the country kids. And then we do have some city borders as well. So metropolitan Sydney primarily, and they're kids who might have parents who are in quite busy work situations. And typically there will be weekly borders. And so we'll stay in on Friday night if they've got a, a sport game at the school on the Saturday morning and go home just for Saturday night. Some of them will go up on the bus run on a Friday night if they're playing sport in, in Sydney on a Saturday. And those kids will go to a, a whole mixture of different Sydney schools. Some of them will go on to be boarders. Some of them will be day students at whatever school's uh, closest or wherever dad went to school. Mm. But yeah, we do, we do have those Sydney borders. And I think a lot of the Sydney borders just love getting out of the city. Yes, absolutely. Being able to be a kid and climb trees and ride their mountain bike and just go on a bit of an adventure. And, you know, there's a lot of brilliant schools in Sydney, but none of them have 170 acres, <laughs> you know, other than maybe Kings, Kings. Um, yeah. to, to do those things. And so Tudor provides that opportunity. And I think the kids we see coming down year three, four, five are kids who maybe the Sydney schooling experience isn't quite working for them, mm. but the approach at Tudor gives them that opportunity to 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 be themselves and to harness their strengths. Well, it sounds like you've got an incredible mix there, which I think would be, apart from the adventure that your location offers, that mix of kids and backgrounds, that's an adventure in itself for any child. Absolutely. 
coming and all the local kids as well and the different backgrounds that they bring you know the highlands are seen a huge shift in its sort of demographic over the last five, 10 years. Mm. And there's a lot of people who have moved from big metro areas to just find something different because the city's not what it was when they were kids. Yeah. And they want the green space. They want the freedom. They want, you know, a slightly different childhood for their kids. And so they're moving to the Highlands as well. So we're finding there's great alignment within the community in terms of values, the type of kids they want to raise, the types of families. I think that only adds to the sort of the richness of the community. And speaking to that, Adam, do you find the culture within the school, the school being established in such a long history of boarding and Mm. boys boarding, but let's make that co-ed, is the culture of boarding and the spirit of boarding still the dominant overall culture of the school? Like we speak to a lot of schools and I've certainly done a lot of interviews for this series that we're speaking on now about culture and spirit within boarding, within schools and how the boarding community infiltrates that and really dictates that, that spirit. Do you find that with the influx of and the changing demographic in the highlands, are they learning and grabbing some of that authenticity from those rural kids that are at Tudor House? How do you, what do you see there? I think it's something we're fighting really hard to maintain and keep as a central part of our school culture. I think if Tudor doesn't have borders, it's not Tudor. Mm. And so we we need that presence. We need a minimum number. So we've got about 40 borders at the moment. We need those kids within the school to keep that connection to our past and the stories we've told in the past. They, they give us the sense of what Tudor is. And so I think it's harder when the percentage of borders is less. Yeah. I do see us as a boarding school that allows day students. Oh, you know, I like love that. the boarding school is so <laughs> in the center of the school yep. that you can't ignore it. And over the course of a year, because we do have casual and block boarding available as well, a lot of the day kids will come in at different points over the year and have that residential experience. And so whilst we talk about the borders, a lot of the kids get a chance to be a boarder for pe- for periods of time through yep. their through their schooling. Yeah. Adam, can you walk us through, talk us through a day in the life of a Tudor house boarder? No, 6.45s wake up. So that's, I think, fairly, fairly typical of kids. They do do a lot of sort of before school things if they want to. It could be tennis lessons or swimming or, you know, choir and music programs. But generally, 6.45 wake up, 7.30 for breakfast. We've got a beautiful old dining hall. A lot of people see it as sort of a Hogwarts sort of style with the high table and the old wooden chairs, and then the school starts at 8.30. And then, you know, like all boarding students, they're part of the day school and they're mixing with the day kids and the staff and engaging in their sort of academic pursuits. And one of the beautiful things about Tudor is all of the kids are provided by provided food by the school. So morning tea and lunch, it's an all-in with everyone. It's not just the borders going off. Yep. And I think that what it means is everyone's breaking bread together it's not just an us versus them. It's all the kids in together and all the staff. That's lovely to, in terms of building community and culture and uh, manners and values, all of those things. There is something about food together that keeps it all of the kids the same, which is good. Uh, in the afternoons, there's a stack of different activities, as you can appreciate. There's all the formal co-curricular clubs. There's all the sport training that they get to do. And they typically run between 3.30 and 5. Mm. And then five till six is your prep time. So they get an hour to do that homework time, to catch up on their learning, to do their, 
you know, music, you know, practice, all of that kind of stuff. And that's supervised by the GAP students, the boarding staff, the teaching staff are there for them to do that prep time. Dinner's at six, a 45-minute sort of time, you know, just to sit and, you know, eat and debrief on the day and all of those kind of things that come in the dining hall. Mm. And then 6.45 to 7.45 is the phone's time. So we have 10 sort of 10 consoles through the one landline. Other than the international students, none of the kids have mobiles. So we're very sort of low tech, which I think is really important in primary schools. So, There's so much. It preserves childhood in many ways if you, if you can delay that. And so the phones are open, um, landlines only for an hour. And we have a couple of kids on the phone who'll say, you know, hi, it's Adam, it's Med- Medley House. And who do you want to speak to? And they, they love that responsibility oh, of answering the okay. phone. Yeah. And then they typically have a house meeting, quarter to eight to eight, and just you know, catch up on the day, talk about the things coming up, maybe discuss some of the cultural things or things that they're working on, celebrate different milestones. And then really that 8 till 8.30 time is the time where they're getting ready for bed and unwinding and reading and it's all sort of calming down. And the lights are off at 8.30, which might seem, you know, if you're at senior boarding thinking, oh man, that's so early, I wish my shift finished then. (laughs) My husband goes to bed at 8.30, Adam. Yeah, um, yeah, he's a ten-year-old again. Eight thirty, the lights are off, and and sort of by nine, the house is 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 pretty quiet, and they're back at it again. And then weekends, you know, there's there's the different excursions and activities. They we run a canteen on a Saturday at the sports field, and the boarders run it, so they learn how to make coffees and they learn how to cook on the barbecue and run the sort of FBOS machines, and oh, wow. that's that's their little baby, and they love doing that. Yeah. And then you've got the offsite and onsite activities, and you can imagine with 170 acres. There's a million things for them to do around the school when it's the weekend. Yeah, and it's it's it is chill out time for them. Yeah, it is chill out time. I mean, I think they're going, you know, rock climbing yeah. at some point soon. We've got an event up at Kings where we're watching the first rugby and having a sleepover in in some of the senior boarding houses. There's go karting and all yeah. the different, you know, big fun things. But then there's just chilling out and making pizzas in the in the pizza oven and yeah. you know outdoor movie nights and getting around the fire pit and you know all of those just fun relaxing things where it's you know just like a family and home away from home yeah it truly does sound idyllic it really does i think the kids have fun like a lot of parents will say to me you know there's no way i'm sending my kid before year 7 mm. and i think you know that's probably fair enough it can feel confronting to go i'm letting my kid go when they're 10 but they do have such a wonderful time mm. and they do have such good friendships and we've got a great team of staff who work in the boarding school that it does feel like a second family and we're much more flexible with you know exit weekends and midterm breaks and leave than we ever have been in order to just allow kids to come and go as they need and as for families to for it to meet their needs but we'll often find the kids want to be in on the weekend because there's just fun things to do or they want to be you know, at, at the at the day student friends' houses and hanging out in the sort of local area yep. and being part of those families as well. Do you find some of the day students that do come in and do blocks of boarding, do they ever switch entirely? Or I guess that's a financial thing as well. But Yeah, there could be financial things, but some kids do. They just really love it. Like yeah. there'll be there'll be day kids who shift into boarding for year six yep. because they might be going from being a day student a tutor to being a boarder in high school. And so you do see a little bit of that. There are some kids who, you know, just like to do it one night a week or two nights a week, and that works for family arrangements and other things. But I think overall there'd be a lot of day students who go, I kind of wish I could be a boarder. Oh, yeah. I was one of those <laughs> in high school. That was my first experience of running around with boarders during the day. I thought it looked like the best fun, and I did. I ended up, my father let me board for a term, 
but I won't bore you with that. (laughs) I guess, Adam, looking at prep boarding, what really motivates and inspires you in your position now? And I guess you can talk about the culture and school spirit and development of young minds and things like that, which you have. But if you could pluck out one thing from this experience for you and your family, what's really inspiring you about Tudor House, the King School Tudor House? One thing, gosh, that's hard to narrow it down. <laughs> it really is a school like no other in terms of the whole Southern Hemisphere. You know, there are we primary school co-ed boarding in a regional sort of bush campus. It just doesn't happen. Mm. And um, we would describe ourselves as a school that has a very healthy risk appetite. And so a lot of society has shifted away to a sort of better be safe than sorry. I don't want to get sued. You know, don't do this. It's the lawnmower parents who are trying to, you know, smooth everything out or, you know, it's like, oh, if we do that, then, you know, what if someone breaks their arm and we've got to shut the school? I think we've taken an an intentional approach to say, if kids miss out on those resilience building opportunities and those challenging adventures and sitting in the discomfort and not being able to do something, but having a go and failing and then learning and doing that in a safe and supportive environment, if they don't get those experiences, it does make them a different teenager and a different adult. And so we've, we feel like we're flying in the face of some of the societal changes, but in a good way, because we actually think that what we're doing is really important for the development of kids. So I think for me, that's, that's a real driver to say, we're doing something that is actually making a difference in the lives of kids. I see it in my own kids who are at the school and I hear it in the stories from old boys who I've met from the 1940s all the way through now who say, Tudor House was the best time of my life. It was it was a family time. It was an adventurous time. It was a time where I built relationships that I still have now and I got the freedom to be a kid who made mistakes and tried new things and that's shaped who I am now. So that really drives me. I think we're, we're finding we have to keep just coming back to these, this sort of question is, you know, why shouldn't we be doing these things? Why shouldn't we be letting kids climb trees? Uh, why shouldn't we let them ride mountain bikes over big jumps? Why shouldn't we, you know, let them cook their lunch over a fire? Mm. Because kids are remarkably resilient and capable, can do more things than we give them credit for often. And so when our year six kids sleep out in the bush at the back of the campus on their own, like in a group of four unsupervised on a weekend, Mm. a lot of people's jaws hit the floor and go, you can't do that. It's like, well, actually, if you come to tutor for a while and you build up all of these skills, then you can actually do it. And if there's an emergency then they're on a radio and they can call us or actually we've equipped them with the skills to be able to work out how to solve the problem themselves. And I think that's an incredibly empowering thing for kids. You know, they're not little adults, but they do build up those skills that allow them to be successful adults. And if we don't give them that experience, I think, you know, they're worse for it. So, you know, one of the great things about being a boarding school is that kids who couldn't live in the Highlands get to be tutorians. And that's kids from anywhere around the world. Like if Tudor was only a day school, yeah. then kids who live out at, you know, Walgood and Moree and Cootamundra that we have here or, you know, Lord Howe Island, they don't get to be Tudorians. They don't get to experience this. And so, you know, we're very excited about our boarding school. And even if it does feel a bit scary to send your kid in primary school, I think it's one of the greatest gifts parents can give to their kids is an education of this type. Mm. And if there's any part of you that's thinking, actually, my kid likes to be outdoors, they like adventure, they like challenge, they like friendship, they've got that sort of those practical skills and that sort of nous for being outside, then if you can do it, you know, it's, it's worth giving us a call. 
have a look. Adam, yeah. let's leave it there. Thank you so much for today. That's a pleasure. It's been lovely to chat. Thanks for listening to Destination Boarding, brought to you by Boarding Schools Expo Australia and hosted by me, Amanda Ferrari. If you like this podcast, please share it with your friends, follow, rate and review. It helps other people find us. Catch you next time.